From Nickelodeon Studios in Burbank, California, this is the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. Hi guys, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Hector Navarro. I am so thrilled because my guest today is the creator of not only one of the first Nicktoons ever, but easily one of the most beloved. Doug premiered on Nickelodeon in 1991 and earned its place in cartoon history by giving us a show with happiness, humor, and a ton of heart. If you grew up with Doug Funny and his friends and family from Bluffington as part of your childhood, you had a good childhood. Doug was simple, earnest, and classic. And for that, we can thank Jim Jenkins. came out, including Doug, right before and around the internet, it's instantly immortal. It's going to be around for, you know what I mean? It's going to be around forever. You know, I can find, I can immortal. find. Immortal. I've never heard that. Yeah. That's, okay. What blew my mind the other day, I got to go speak to a group of um, fifth graders yeah. at a local school yeah. about writing and whatever. I love to do that. Yeah. Um, and they, and the, whoever introduced me said, how many of you have heard of a show called Doug? Now, I didn't even look up because I'm like, this is going to be crickets and here we go. And half the kids raised their hand. Yeah. And I'm like, how? It's amazing. But man. it's because they can get to it in so many different ways. In, exactly. And they're, they're tracking it. I have never met a person who talks ill about Doug. I've met people that oh, wow. like and dislike other cartoons from Nickelodeon, from other companies. But Doug is always like, yeah, Doug's great. No matter who you talk to, which is well, awesome. Wait, except for this one lady. <laughs> I was in a theme park and we were sort of trapped in one of those river rides and uh, with our family. But it was this lady and her son. And she found out, I, had, I think I had a Doug hat on. Okay. And she's like, well, Doug's a little bit of a goody two-shoe. I'm like, well, I'm sorry, <laughs> you know. And I'm trying to <laughs> and make nice. And she brought that around a second time. So, yeah. you know, I think it can go, it can work against you too. Obviously, I'm not going to get recognized very much, although I do kind of look like Doug, I guess. I do have nine hairs now. Okay, fine. But um, uh, yeah, I, I wear that hat. It's just very special to me. I just feel like it's part of me. But um and it'll make that connection. And I like to do that because it is a way to start conversations that wouldn't happen otherwise. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were just at um, well, Universal down in Florida. Yeah. And one of the guys working the line said, nice hat. I went, well, thanks for watching the show. And he was like, what? Wait. What did you just say? Yeah, yeah. right. Because he's putting it together really fast. Huh? What? Right. And so he's like got to do his job and he wants to talk, yeah. you know, and, and all that. And it turns out he's an animator and he, he wanted to go deep. And we talked a little bit. It was That's pretty cool. awesome. But, um, yeah, it's 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 great to make that connection. You, you hear they do get some of them in particular uh, – Want to write, they know they've got one one sentence. They're going to say what because it's yeah. a, it's a meeting that's going to be quick, <laughs> and they want to sum it up. And it used to be stuff like when's Doug going to kiss Patty? That would be the number one question. Yeah. Or when? Why are all the why are all the colors or all that stuff? Yeah. But it's that's ended. It's mostly now want them wanting to say to me, "Thank you, you were uh, you taught me." how to be a kid or how to be a human or how to be a man or how to, yeah. it was, it was some version of really deep. And I, it always moves me deeply that yeah. they're, they are like that and that they watch the show in that detail. I grew up in Richmond, Virginia mm -hmm. and 
For those folks, they get an extra bump. I mean, there's stuff buried deep that are That's directly specific. for if you play football with me in high school, there's yeah. stuff for you. If there's yeah. the, the local mall, all this stuff is in there. Yeah. So it's fine. And I love how you've talked about how those characters were inspired by real people in your childhood and life growing up. And that yeah. when you were working on the show and afterwards, you contacted yes. some of them and you were worried yes. about the bully <laughs> that you took the name Klotz from to Roger. give to Roger. Yes. And I think I think I read that you reached out to him when the movie was yes. premiering, Doug's that's, first movie. Man, you've done your work. That's, <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And what, what was that interaction like? What was that? You know, you said you were yeah. a little scared, like, I'm sorry, man, you're the bully. That's but... how I went into it. Yeah. I said, Roger, I'm sorry. Don't hit me. Um <laughs> And he was, of course, really cool. Yeah. And he had this great insight. He'd obviously thought about it and thought, he said, Jimmy, we all had somebody older than us beating down on us or pushing us. I had mine. You had yours. I'm yeah. like, whoa. Yeah. Roger Klotz. You know, <laughs> wisdom. It, it was it was very cool. That's so cool. Yeah. And the rest of your, you, you know, you, you said you reconnected with your childhood sort of crush because uh, you said, hey, yeah. listen, it's Patty Mayonnaise. Right. It's uh, and that yeah. you still get Christmas card letters from I, them. Is that the case? Well, there's a restraining order now. Okay, but we, you know, uh, 10 years after I left high school. Um, I had moved. By then, I was in New York City mm-hmm. trying to make it as an artist and all that. And the 10-year high school reunion happened back in Virginia. Tell me you did a Doug high school reunion story. Is that what you— is Well, that what... th- now you're getting ahead. Okay, sorry. I'm okay. sorry. I'm very excited. All right. No, okay. <laughs> um, no it's the wor- It's This is so typical of me. I, I didn't go. I was too busy, too yeah. whatever, didn't go. I didn't show up. So that was that. Could be the end of the story, right? Yeah. Until the phone rang, and it's Patty. Now, I haven't seen or heard from Patty in 10 years. Wow. And Patty goes, hey, Jimmy, uh, I went to the um, I went to the reunion. You weren't there. And I'm like, by the way, this is a recording on my Codaphone yeah. uh, because I couldn't respond to her. Yeah. And it's like, guess what? I live in New York City. I live at, and the address is right across Central Park from where I am. So... <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> what? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Wow. And she invited me to dinner. Wow. So That's it's so this cool. whole, think about it. It's a new Doug episode happening for real. I'm like, what am I going to wear? <laughs> what is she going to look like? What if she's this or what if I'm that? And I and that's going on in my mind And as I'm yeah. walking over there. And so I get to her apartment and uh, buzz in and, and, and I hear her come to the door and and it opens and there she is and she's as cute and amazing as i had ever seen and we hugged and it was Mm -hmm. amazing (laughs) and she even this is uh she won't she probably won't appreciate us told this part of the story but she goes look jim i have boobs i didn't used to they called me flatty patty but look they came in and i'm like yeah (laughs) me too and um we just laughed, and it was wonderful, <laughs> and just more than I could possibly dream. Uh, and then she goes, oh, 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 I want you to meet my husband. <laughs> and we wheel around, and here's this, like, dashing man that yeah. walks in. Hi there. Hi there, Jimmy. You know, and it's Rich, and it's her, of course, amazing husband, and, and they're together to this day and awesome and all that. That sounds but, like a pitch perfect uh, Doug episode. Like, is that not a Doug story? You're like, oh, okay, let's have dinner, and it'll be hard, and I'll leave. Hey, Doug, mind if I sit next to you? <gasps> mind? Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, sure. Thanks, Doug. At that moment, 
I was the happiest guy in the entire Tri-County area. What were some of your influences growing up? We, um, Our family was pretty strict on us even back in the day when, you know, just I, I was allowed 30 minutes of TV on a school night if my grades were good. So I would be, you know, watching the first half hour of an hour-long show and make <laughs> myself miserable and all. But, but anyway, we had on the weekends you could watch stuff, yeah. and that's when the cartoons were out there, right? And uh, I don't know. I, I certainly loved all the uh, peanut specials. Yes, you know the Charlie Brown, uh, the Great Pumpkin thing, and the you know, all that. that was awesome. Just yeah. it's very different and cool storytelling. And of course, I like a lot of people when I got a little older. Love Rocky and Bullwinkle, but. Right when you're about Doug's age and you're beginning to, I guess puberty's about to knock on the door, but I uh, found Mad Magazine, and that blew my mind. Wow. I just thought that looked cool. It was funny. It felt a little dangerous. <laughs> and um, there were a handful of uh, spectacular uh, artists, uh, animators, not animators, but uh, illustrators. Illustrators, right. And... Uh, they could do caricatures and these crazy spy versus spy kind of crazy things. And they they found a way to put together this sort of, for a little kid, a dangerous little magazine that yeah. were saying things that you didn't know were allowed and all that. So, <laughs> you know, but I collected those and you'd trace over and learn how, that's sort of the way I was learning how to draw. You went to school for art, right? You, you you got a degree in that, and then you started working in animation, and you worked on Nickelodeon's uh, very first uh, uh, show, I think. It was Pinwheel or... Wow, right? yeah. You did Way your back homework, in, yeah. Before Nickelodeon as we know it today. Absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah all the machines were um, kerosene-powered. It was very noisy, <laughs> and a lot of exhaust. It was yeah, like to fight dinosaurs. Industrial to, age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was there before they called it Nickelodeon. Right. You know, I was I was at Ohio State in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, Warner Communication uh, rolled into town to start a thing called Cube, which was at a, at a time. Remember when there were well, you don't remember, but when there were three channels and UHF, that was right. it, right? <laughs> and they offered thirty channels. Mind blown, you yeah. know, thirty channels, and one of them was dedicated to preschool kids, and it was called Pinwheel. One one show just aired and repeated over and over, day and night, uh, but it was uh, called Pinwheel. And uh, uh, backing up, just to catch up to why this is important, in high school, I saw a show on TV with animation and puppets. It was for preschool kids. It blew my mind. Yeah. Especially two little puppets named Bert and Ernie. And yeah. I just thought, I want to do that, you know. Yeah. And that's why I went to Ohio State to learn animation and I wanted to be an actor, I wanted to be a puppeteer, and I wanted to work on Sesame Street, and that's my path. Yeah. So now, zooming forward to Ohio State, there's people from the electric company, they were out of production, had come to Columbus, and they were directors and producers making Pinwheel. And uh, it was a chance meeting, I ran into a production assistant, and just begged, you know, I'll do anything, I'll push a broom, just give me a shot. And they... They did it. They got me into a meeting with the executive producer, Sandy Cavanaugh, and she hired me to work with the puppeteer and to paint sets. And there I was in the middle of the beginning and uh, got to be a puppeteer and do a little bit of acting on it and voiceover work, but a lot of art. And that group left me, left me marooned <laughs> in Columbus, Ohio, um, <laughs> and uh, came back to New York and thought about it and thought, this would be a great channel 
and let's do more programming yeah. and let's call it Nickelodeon. So that's when they got back in touch and said, we're going to do Nickelodeon in New York and we want to bring you in to work on the New York seasons of, of Pinwheel. That was going to be the first original show. Wow. So, that's yeah, amazing. it was like. Well, I don't know. I, you know. I've got a pretty big business down here in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. That's yeah. where I live in. I didn't know. I had, clueless. You know, yeah. lost. And probably intimidated, the thought sure. of coming to New York. But I did get there. And, of course, over about six months, uh, we were uh, rehearsing and working on the shows in New York. Then we fly back to the studios in Columbus and record Pinwheel. And then I'd go back to Birmingham with my thriving, that's a joke, uh, <laughs> art life in Birmingham. And then th I did that triangle for about six months. And the great thing about that was I fell in love with New York. That's yeah. what I thought. I'm moving. Yeah. And so I moved lock, stock, and barrel to the city. That's so cool. What a great, what a great, like, American success story. That's great. <laughs> that's so awesome. Cut to 1991, Nickelodeon wants to take a chance on some original cartoon right. programming, which was a huge deal. People might yeah. not know, you know, how much of a risk this was and how much of an endeavor this was, because at the time, animation was very different. Animation, TV animation especially, was a lot of cartoons based on toy lines and yes. action figures and everything yes. to sell products. So this was a this was a very risky thing. And you went in and you pitched Doug. Now before that Doug, you were trying to pitch it as a as a children's book. What yeah. was that experience like to kind of try to visualize the world of Doug as a as a series or a book of, for kids? All right. Well, first of all, and I hope in this whole talk we're having, yeah. Hector, it doesn't it should never sound like this is a paved road that you can see down, and there are signs telling you where the rest stops are. Not this is a this is a jungle. You, I don't know what's going to happen next. I haven't. I don't know what I'm doing, but it's just this kind of haplessly, kind of like Doug, moving forward <laughs> through time. I did with coming to New York. It happened to be when cable exploded. Yeah. And there was a lot going on in New York. It was popping. This is just on the threshold of starting a lot of stuff. And I got it, I got a, the chance to be a part of starting MTV and some other pretty big deals in their day. Yeah. Um, and so I was working on other people's shows, mm -hmm. stuff for uh, Children's Television Workshop, now Sesame Workshop, yeah. and other people. So I'm in children's television, just not my own shows. Right. But in my own spare time, I'm, again, doodling, sort of <laughs> theme through the story. <laughs> and at night, I would, uh, instead of keeping a journal or any of that, I would draw, draw these little single panel cartoons uh, that over time, you know, I had a lot of them. And... And then, you know, you begin to go, wow, there's something here. So you begin showing it to your friends. And over about a five-year period, there's these cartoons, these doodles, these these plastic plates that you can put, you know, stuff on. And there's mm -hmm. pull toys I'm making. So I'm like running my own little, you know, uh, personal brand, you know. Wow. But uh, I, if you knew me by then, you knew about Doug. Yeah. So somebody I'd worked uh, on a pilot for some game show, her name is Linda Shupak, very important, because she picked up the phone and said, Nickelodeon's doing these creator-driven things. You should take Doug over there. That changed my life. Yeah. You know, it's just <laughs> amazing that she would think to do that and make that call. Just think what, for me, if that call hadn't happened. Absolutely. And so I went, okay, and went over with that, that thing you mentioned, the book proposal called Doug Got a New Pair of Shoes. Mm -hmm. And it's just a very crude kind of little spiral thing you can have done at, 
at, at back in the day, Kinko's or someplace yeah. like that. <laughs> and I took that there and met uh, Vanessa Coffey. And she, uh, we, I went in her office and started, I held up that little book and started explaining who Doug is. And really, pretty early on in this, she looked at me and she looked at the book and ran out of the room, which doesn't happen that often. And uh, it was disturbing. And I didn't know what had happened. What had happened? Because I'm just sitting there by myself like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, later, she, Vanessa told me uh, that she had gone to her boss and said, I, I like this guy. This guy and this, he knows his world. He is Doug. Yeah. And so she came back into the room and said, you're going to go to pilot. So, you know, <laughs> the rest of the meeting was at the emergency room. No, yeah. it's just, it was stunning and uh, a miracle. Yeah. Uh, what you said about the the notion of Vanessa leading the charge on original stuff is a miracle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The idea of being able to pitch something that Vanessa in her soul heard, got it. That's amazing. And uh, the, we were off to making a, a pilot with all of our New York artists and whatever. We made it by hand wow. in uh, in Soho. Really? Yeah. It was it was a cool little little single uh, eight minute. Uh, film. Yeah, that is so incredible. It's and called it, Doug Can't Dance. Doug Can't Dance. Yeah. That's right. It it feels like lightning in a bottle. Uh, I think about, and sometimes I tell this story, and afterwards people go, "Well, yeah, everything nice happened to you." It's like, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm leaving out all the sure. crash and burn stories, the rejection. Uh, we, you know, that book was rejected by all the publishers of New York. It was, it was really on the brink. I had even signed a deal with Simon and Schuster, so you think it's going to happen, mm-hmm. and then. That editor moved on, and they canceled all his projects, wow. including mine. That was two weeks before Linda Schupack called, and I met Vanessa. Yeah. So you just it's one of those things in life where you never know what's going to happen. In the same way, Charlie Brown and Lucy and Linus and all that, that's called Peanuts. Right. And I thought, I should do that. I should be like that. You know, he's <laughs> awesome, right? And I thought, I'm going to take this and make some sort of ironic sort of name, double meaning thing. Mm-hmm. So I knew that Doug's last name was going to be funny, F-U-N-N-I-E. And I thought, the funnies, that's awesome. You know, that, that has that double meaning. It's kind of like peanuts. Um, that didn't even get through the door. I mean, I pitched <laughs> that and it landed so flat here. But this is where uh, the relationship uh, with Nickelodeon and me as an outside uh, creator producer was beautiful because they were trying to bring out of me my vision, mm-hmm. not theirs. And that was unique and amazing. Wow. There's other times where I I had pitched the uh, the, the guy Quail Man. Yeah. You know, Doug's alter ego e- ego hero. Yeah. And uh you know, in the heat of doing it, you get you turn left when you should go straight. <laughs> and I had this whole idea that it was more like an Obi-Wan Kenobi outside force, and I come in with that idea and Vanessa went, "That is not what you pitched me." <laughs> and she fed back to me who Quail Man was, and I'm like, Oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) That's the quail call, the cry of someone in trouble. This is a job for Quail Man. And my faithful companion, Quail Dog. At what point while working on Doug did you realize, oh, my gosh, this this is in pop culture now? That's a... Mm, that's a great question. It's the one I I can't wait to hear what I have to say. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like it's like a lot of the other path stuff. You're so busy making it, so mm-hmm. busy dealing with the creative 
and wanting to feel like you're 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 being a good leader of of a group. Because you know my job is to work with dozens of people, but it needs to look like it came from one set of hands, right. one mind. You're so busy focused on that and not crashing and burning doing that, it doesn't hit you, boom, except for in little glimpses, like when we when it was going to go up on the air. We'd seen the show, that first show, Doug Bags a Nematode, obviously a billion times, but that's different. And um, our whole crew, we, we rented out a, a, a New York Mexican restaurant because everyone knows breakfast at a Mexican restaurant's the way to go. Mm. But it had big TV monitors. Mm-hmm. And we all sat there having our Mexican breakfast. But we're watching live live TV. It's it's what's coming off the air. And when it came on, we just all just screamed and cried and hugged. And, you know, it was about 80 of us that had gone through what felt like a, a battle together. Yeah. That's a, that's a moment. That's not exactly the moment of we're, we're a big deal. Right. It was the beginning thing. And so the answer to the other part is sort of gradually you begin to realize, like I said earlier, Doug is something you've got to spend time with. It, I think the first show you're going to be like, yeah, okay, whatever. But over over time, hopefully you fall in love with the depth of of it. Doug is supposed to be the story of a, a of a real life of a kid told by a cartoon, you know. Yeah. And uh, so it was a slow. That's a slow path. Why was it important for you, Jim, to have Doug be the sort of sweet character that he was and for each episode to have a moral? Wow. Hector. <laughs> um, I'm just taking that in. You know, yeah. I, Here's the deal. My hesitation is I know how to answer that question, I think. But it comes off, I do not want to sound pious. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sound preachy or I'm better than blobbly blob boo boo. It's... I'm just saying, when you get a shot, I had worked on other shows, sure. other kids' shows. And other I love other people's projects. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. When they say, you're going to do it, and you now realize, if all goes as planned, <laughs> you're going to tell hundreds of stories. Yeah. And you're going to create a world. And I just thought, this is unbelievable. This is an opportunity that's off the scale. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, let's make it funny. Let's make it look cool. Let's make the music awesome as we can and all that. But I thought, I, I, I need it to be more. This thing needs to, I want it to say stuff about life and and hit those sort of big universal things that we all go through, right? And it might be about your crush to a girl and all that kind of stuff. It might be about quail man, which is really a metaphor for, well, I mean, think about a quail. I mean, he just sort of hides, but he's not a coward. It's he takes great courage to show restraint. Mm -hmm. And so there's all this sort of stuff that I think were sort of helpful stuff for a kid. And so our little our writing team, we wrote a uh, we had a bullpen of like four or five writers. Uh, Kenny Scarborough was our one of our story editors and brilliant. And David Campbell, my partner through all of this. Uh, and, and who is awesome. And I and this little crew really signed on and agreed that we wanted every story to have a lesson. So much so at the top of the script, mm-hmm. you wrote, I, there was a form that you filled out uh, and it said, what, what, does, what is the kid issue and what does Doug learn? And that way, as you work on it and you polish it, we're all working on the same story. We're yeah. all heading the same place. And, you know, sometimes that went easy and smooth and made sense. And sometimes we had huge fights and, and argued. And, you know, what is it that that really makes sense? But that's that's the process. And it was great to, 
to work through that, but it was purposeful. We wanted to make Doug, uh, like I said, feel real and authentic. Yeah. And, and we wanted it to also play so that, and I said this to them, not knowing it might happen. I said, I want this to be able to air 30 years from now and it still be valid, it'd be relevant. Now, I didn't realize it would still be going, but I wanted yeah. <laughs> that to be our goal. And so we tried not to be too terribly topical in the moment. Right. Uh, not too many the, 90s references. Yeah, there's yeah. hardly any of that, maybe yeah. more than we thought. But we tried <laughs> to get that out to keep it very universal and um, and, and and hopefully hit that stuff that uh, kids will never stop wanting to know about. Was that always intended to be part of the world of Doug is to have you know, Doug and Porkchop and everybody go on those those great daydream sequences? Yeah, um, yes. Um, <laughs> it's it's like a portal into the crazy. You know, it's like, the, you know, think about Doug and his everyday life is pretty, it's cartoony, but it's it's real in a sense it's, it's a suburban neighborhood. Absolutely. The, the laws of nature are in play. If you drop an anvil on Doug's head, he's going to die. Yeah. You know, it's, it, was, it was not Warner Brothers or Tex Avery or, mm-hmm. or, or more close to home. It was not Ren and Stimpy. It, mm-hmm. was, it was more real. So you have to break into the crazy and what's going on in Doug's mind, the very best and the very worst that could possibly happen. Yeah. And um, it's also the way my brain worked. It was always <laughs> playing out the fantasy of how could I get Patty to pay attention to me? Well, if this happened and this happened, and it'd be awesome. Or yeah. maybe it won't be, you know, yeah. and then you go crazy. So uh, it was a great way to to expand the universe and do all these superhero things and Western things and underwater things, just whatever. Yeah. Um, so we, I, I love that element. Welcome to Funny Island, where all your fantasies come true. Roger, show our guests to their fabulous riches, fame, and fortune. Right, boss. You've talked about before how you really liked how fans have sort of read into the different colors of the different characters yeah. on the show right. in this kind of very beautiful and poignant way. And and you've talked about the decision to use all different kinds of colors yeah. for the skin tones of these human characters and how your intention was just sort of like, it doesn't matter what your skin tone yeah. is, is that, you know, everybody's all people. Right. Do you feel like that message came across and that's what sort of people were responding to? Or do you find that, did you did you think that uh, that fans, as we got older, kind of uh, created something else in the show? You think, you put stuff like that in there, mm-hmm. for maybe just for me, and maybe some people will get it. People got all of it. Yeah. All this, there's layers and layers of stuff that was, was uh, buried or thought about, but just not, you know, underlined. And, and people picked up on it. And the idea of the colors was, like you said, it was just an opportunity. I didn't see it coming, but there you are sitting with those that little fist of markers, mm-hmm. which seems so limiting. And you and now you're that in charge of this world. And so you can make this graphic choice, but it's also this, this statement about it doesn't matter what color you are. Yeah. And uh, it got picked up on. About the music, because there was so many like mouth sounds from a human mouth yeah. that was a yes. part of the music. Where did sort of the direction and idea for the music of the show come from? Where did the beats come from? Nickelodeon had three of us go on the road to promote Nickelodeon. Wow. There's another show parallel to this at the very beginning called Livewire. Livewire's host was Fred Newman. 
so Fred Newman and I met each other on the road. Just mm-hmm. we'd be showing up at a gig in Cincinnati or Tulsa or wherever we were. But every now and again, our paths would cross because we were two groups promoting uh, Nickelodeon when we weren't doing our own shows, Pinwheel mm-hmm. and Livewire. And so uh, Fred and I became friends and have been for a zillion years now. But Fred is the master of mouth sounds and uh, a very brilliantly funny man, very musical guy. And so when Doug was going to happen, uh, I cast Fred as Porkchop the dog and Mr. Dink and many other characters. But uh between his zany, funny sense of humor and and what he brought to it, like Mr. Dinks, you know, hello, Douglas, you know, all that. He saw those teeth I drew. He's the only guy that auditioned that saw the teeth and did that thing, you know. (laughs) And um, that was Fred. And uh, and the mouth sounds, especially for Skeeter. So uh, Fred was working on uh, the Mickey Mouse Club uh, with Disney. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And that's where he met Dan Sawyer was on that show. So he said, I've got a guy, I need him. He's the music guy. He can he can make my ideas come to life and we make a great partnership. So uh, Fred Newman and Dan Sawyer became the team. And so from there, it's just meeting with them and talking about uh, the sensibility of, of the show. And there were things like um, the Andy Griffith show. I love that yeah. show. I just think it's another one of those shows it's still airing it's yeah. still out there classic and, american and, show right and it has great solid characters and stories and mm-hmm. and the uh, content behind it but think about the opening to that show that whistle absolutely and so i thought that we 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 referenced that and thought we need something that distinctive but not slick not synthy not any, it's got to be really simple and direct and that's when fred got that dude that all that was fred absolutely. Fred brought that in and uh where did the idea for the beats come from, and, and how and is, how many people's sort of musical influences found their way into that? Well, yeah, the, um, wanting the series to you know be musically fun and cool, and of course, again, Fred and Dan are amazing. Right. So we're trying to figure out where where are the opportunities, and then a, a writer first season by the name of uh, Alan Silberberg wrote a story, and he wrote the idea of Killer Tofu. Mm-hmm. He didn't write the mu- the music of it. That was uh, uh, Dan and Fred. But but the writer came up with the notion of the Beats writing uh, Killer Tofu. I had come up with the idea of the Beats. The Beats are an amalgam of... You know, I grew up in the 60s, which I think is musically one of the most awesome times that will ever be. Oh, yeah. Like the Beatles, you know. Yeah. Although I didn't think the Beatles would make it. I was pretty sure the Dave Clark Five was going to break out. The Beatles <laughs> were kind of an overnight thing. But um, <laughs> to show you my great vision. But, um, you know, The Who and uh, Led Zeppelin, all these things are happening and uh, you don't know which are going to stick and which aren't. And of course, they're all awesome. Right. But this notion of taking and making up a, a fantasy band and, the and, and you know, Beats is sort of a thing, a running thing through the whole series anyway. Mm-hmm. It's just this band that's a little bit of the acrimony of the Who always breaking up and coming back together. That yeah. running joke was there. <laughs> and uh, a little bit of the Beatles, of course. And it's just a little bit of all those rock and roll bands and all their crazy. And the the notion of them uh, 
these characters in the band being from all different places. There's Wendy Nespaugh. Monroe Yoder is the name of a church leader in the church I grew up in as a little kid. So that's particularly ridiculous because he's (laughs) one of the straight laciest, you know. And I found, he's another guy I found later. I'm like, what do you think? And he just laughed. He just oh thought it was gosh. really funny. But I just thought Monroe Yoder is just a funny name. What to a make. great name. <laughs> and, uh, that's a real chap. Lippman is just a funny. And that, that's yeah. just, you know. And um, <laughs> Flounder was sort of the the guy that's not exotic. He didn't come from overseas like England or whatever. He's like the local guy. But mm-hmm. he did well. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they, they're, the, they're the band. But they're always breaking up, always coming back together. But But they are like what we thought of. The Beatles or the Rolling Stones or the Who. Yeah. Just they're untouchable and awesome. Absolutely. So the idea of, of Skeeter and Doug coming anywhere near them yeah. is just a great story. <laughs> so we had fun with that. And that's another thing. Again, you can mess with people my own age. You can go, ooh, ee, <laughs> and they have to go, kill Killer tofu. tofu. Why are you doing this? Come on. <laughs> seems like Doug was such a fully formed sort of world and character, at least. But he was cast as Billy West in the yeah. beginning of the show. Let me know, did what Billy brought to the table, did that sort of uh, change any of the of the direction for the writing or any episodes or give any episode ideas, anything like that? What did Billy bring and contribute to the character of Doug? I met, I was um, director and producer of a show on the Comedy Channel called The Higgins Boys and Gruber. Um, just another one of those awesome things that was going on in New York and yeah. being a part of the Comedy Channel was just so cool. And it was not children's stuff now. Now we're doing stuff that was sort of for all ages, and it was much wilder and crazier and a, and a lot of fun. And the Higgins boys and Gruber knew Billy. Billy was up in Boston working in radio, mm-hmm. and he was Billy was wanting to make the move down to New York and sort of launch his career in a bigger way. Yeah. So I met Billy on the Higgins Boys and Gruber set, and he was doing one of the Three Stooges (laughs) and brilliant at it and met him there. And that's where I met Kenny Scarborough and some other guys that were uh, New York comedians and writers and whatnot. But anyway, I met Billy, and this was right at the time where I'm just obsessed on the side with doing the pilot for Doug. Sure. And I had to cast it. And uh, Billy had a lot of voices and was very funny and smart and all that. So uh, he got cast doing Doug. But I will go on to say, mm-hmm. when he did it, uh, the the voice he did was um, sh- had a had a sharp sharpness to it. And I kept thinking because of that big bulbous nose, yeah. it'd be a softer voice, yeah, kind of like my voice. Yeah. <laughs> and so I I thought it'd be more like this, you know? Can yeah. you imagine? But anyway, <laughs> that's what I thought. Hey, Skeeter, I'm just really excited. Anyway, yeah. um, I used him, I cast him in the uh, pilot, and I kept thinking in my mind, and we'll just recast if, it, if we go forward. Sure. Whatever. And so when I, it, not only did Doug move forward, Vanessa Coffey told me it tested the best of the eight pilots they made. That's true. Which was amazing and cool. <laughs> um but I told Vanessa, great, and let's start the casting, and I, I think I want to open up the casting for the Doug character in another case of where Vanessa and Nickelodeon keeps you on your track because she goes, no, you're not. <laughs> this show tested out the roof. You're not changing the voice of the thing that tested like this. You're keeping Billy. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I wouldn't have done that otherwise. And mm-hmm. that, 
that's a huge deal, right? Yeah. But as far as Billy is a brilliant, a genius person uh, in terms of technically being able to bring all these voices uh, to life. And mm-hmm. he would, he was the voice of Roger Klotz and Doug. And mm-hmm. often, as you know, there were conversations between the two. Billy would read the page. He wouldn't do, we. I thought we'd do all the Doug lines. Yeah. We'd back up and do the Roger lines. No, he would read the page and <laughs> it would just put a pause because he's a pro, but he would have big, all those arguments and all that. Oh, brother. All, yeah. He's doing that uh, in real time, wow. back and forth. That's that's I've a, never seen that. That's amazing. Before. Yeah. Hey, funny, where are you? Hi, Roger. What you doing? Trying on your costume for the big dance tonight? What are you? A pile of manure? <laughs> I'm a slug. So you're really gonna go through with it, huh? What do you mean? Well, you're paired up to dance with Patty Mayonnaise, aren't you? Yeah, I guess I'm the luckiest guy. Lucky? She's the best dancer in the whole school. Yeah, so? So, think about it, Einstein. You can't dance. Everyone's going to be laughing at you. I can hear it now. (laughs) What was it like, Jim, to work on a movie for Doug? A movie, Doug's first movie. What was that like? (laughs) Well, I'm recognizing another theme, Hector. It's... You don't see it coming because this was back when um, this is at Disney and mm-hmm. uh, the home video world was big. Yeah. Um, and so we were asked to do a home video and we were our producers, Melanie Grisanti, asked directly, this is only going to be on a small screen, right? And they said, "Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a it's a direct video. It's that's what it is. Yeah. And so it was a is a relatively low budget by movie standards, mm-hmm. and the way you make it even, the way you uh, lay it out, uh, is is very specific to a TV screen. And we were going along making it and working on it, and I wanted it to be hooked up to stuff, and we wanted the Jeopardy to be higher. So anyway, Michael Eisner uh, of Disney is going to come to our studio in New York. I said, you've never been here. Please come visit us. <laughs> and, he, and he said, okay. So he came and uh, came to our studio, and we're all excited, you know. And he said, well, I got news for you. And I said, what? And he goes, the movie, Doug movie, uh, Joe Roth, who worked there at the time, uh, showed it to his kids, said, what do you think? They love it. Uh, You're going theatrical with it. So we're like, (laughs) what'd you say? (laughs) You know, like, what? And so the first... The first reaction is you can't believe it. It's right. another one of those like Vanessa running out of the room moments of you yeah. fall down. Yeah. Because that's all. Who dreamed in your lifetime you'd get to do a feature film, right? But right behind that, you know just <laughs> enough to know that that is a panic. Yeah. There is so much that you don't ha- you don't even know what you're going to do to mm-hmm. make this work on a big screen. And he went, relax. He could see it in my eyes, I'm sure. Yeah. Just, ah! We're Disney... We, this is, you're in our wheelhouse. We know how to do these things. We'll help you. Yeah. And I got to tell you, it, it they did. That to be at Disney on a movie mm-hmm. was like something I've never seen before. They really do know what they're doing. They put us together with the right people. We screened it. We blew it up really big. We went in their big state soundstage yeah. and played it like a, a theatrical movie and went, well, that doesn't work. You know, and you just write it down, what did and what didn't. Sure. Nobody panicked. Nobody. It was just analysis. 
I would love it if we had had more time, more sure. budget at sure. the front end, and if we knew this is what we were doing. But you know what? It happened. It happened the way it did, and I and I'm grateful. It sounds like a perfect Doug story too. Just the way you <laughs> yes, know what I mean. Just does. the way that that all it's happened. True. It's so it's great. True. Uh, I got a last question for you. Looking back on your career, is there something that to you, whether it's it's Doug or whether it's PB&J Otter and the other shows and preschool shows that you worked on or anything, that is uh, something that you're really, really proud of? We've been talking for uh, all morning about the one. I mean, d- yeah. that, you know, like first love. You know, yeah. D- Doug was first love. I mean, it's the first time any of this had happened. We made a lot of shows, you know, after... Doug, you know, Allegra's window happened at Nickelodeon, mm-hmm. but we went on to Disney to do more Doug and PB&J Otter and mm-hmm. Stanley and JoJo Circus. And then we came back to Nickelodeon to do um, Pinky Dinky Do mm-hmm. and uh, 101 Dalmatians. And I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. I, I, I forget. To think of being an independent company that could make so many different stories in so many different ways, you know, we, we the even the styles in which they were made are all these things. To work with the the I think the best writers, producers, actors, all that for twenty some odd years is way beyond my wildest dreams. And I got some pretty big Doug dreams, but this it went further than I ever dreamed possible. So as a collective thing to have a point of view about life and and how I think we ought to all be living our lives. It happened. It has happened. And I'm grateful. So that's not a specific thing other than just an awesome career. I'm very grateful. Now that was pretty awesome, guys. I hope you enjoyed my talk with Jim Jenkins, the man responsible for making all of my Doug dreams come true. Jim is one of the many incredible people that we've had on the podcast, so please come back, visit us next week on nickanimationpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts for more episodes and tons of bonus content, like photos from the podcast of Jim Jenkins and myself, as well as original production art from Doug from our very own Nick Archives. That's cool. Thanks to the awesome crew who puts this podcast together, this podcast podcast is produced by Jonathan Highlander, Dana vasquez Eberhard, Kelly Smith, Andrew Hubner. Original music by Useful Creatures. All of the incredible social media for our podcast is made by Narbe Manassians, Greg Nix. And thanks to the man who works at controls and makes me sound better than I have a right to, Manny Gralva. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast and keep watching cartoons.